0: I have two questions for you today. The first one is a little bit important. The second one is really important. So here's the first question. Why do we call Easter Easter? Have you ever wondered about that? It's kind of a weird name. It seems like it would be more appropriate for a name of a wind coming from the east. So where does the name Easter come from? And there's two Uh, dominant theories. The first one goes back to the 600s and 700s, where there's a guy named Saint Bede, or Bede, B-E-D-E, and he wrote a work in Latin called The Church History of the English-Speaking People, and this work described the history of the Anglo-Saxon tribes converting to Christianity, and he writes in this work that the name Easter actually came from Eoster, the Anglo-Saxon goddess of spring and fertility. So that's one possibility. English Christians adopted the name of this pagan goddess for their own purposes. However, serious early Christians were pretty intent on distancing themselves from paganism. So the other theory argues that the word derives from the Latin phrase in albis, which apparently is the plural form of the word dawn. And somehow this phrase became Yostarum in Old High German, and this was the precursor of the modern German Ostern. And we get the English term Easter from the German Ostern. So these are some theories of the origina- origination, the origin, better word, of the word Easter. So that's question one, where does Easter come from? Question two is way more important, and that question is, how will you respond to Easter? Now that question depends on your understanding of Easter. And there's a lot of people who think that Easter is primarily a long weekend in the spring, That's primarily what Easter is and what it's all about. In fact, on Thursday, I did a search for the number one trending story about Easter in Canada. And do you know what the number one story was about Easter in Canada? What's open and closed on Easter weekend? Nothing about Christ, nothing about uh, what we would focus on. So if we think Easter just refers to a spring long weekend, there's nothing to respond to. But for Christians, Easter celebrates the resurrection of Jesus on the third day after his crucifixion and death. And with that definition, how will you respond to Easter takes on a much greater meaning. How will you respond to Jesus' resurrection that we celebrate today and we believe is an ongoing reality? And we Christians believe that Jesus is alive in his resurrection body right now. And seated at the right hand of his Father, reigning over the universe. How will we respond to the resurrected Lord? And I'm going to propose three likely responses or possible responses. One, from a person who doesn't believe that the resurrection happened. Two, from a person who says they believe in the resurrection, but that it has little to do with their daily or everyday life. And third, for people who believe in the resurrection and are following Christ. We're going to talk about three possible responses, and then I'm going to suggest... Three alternatives to these likely responses. But before we think about responding to the Easter story, we need to know the Easter story. And so we're going to turn to some eyewitnesses today who saw the resurrected Lord on that first Easter Sunday. And you may not have heard this one before because it's kind of an unfamiliar part of the Easter story. But there is much to learn from this account. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to uh, Luke chapter 24, and we're going to start in verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, you can use the one in front of you there. It's on page 747 in the bottom right corner where verse 13 starts. And we followed the Easter story through the account of Luke, or according to Luke's account, and we looked at Jesus in the garden and how he prayed to align his will to his father's will and then we looked at the trials of Jesus last week and we saw that those trials revealed Jesus' innocence and yet led to his death sentence and then on Friday we saw Peter and his denial three times of even knowing Jesus and now in Luke 24 13 we see some of Luke's account of that first Easter Sunday so Luke 24 verse 13 and all the way to verse 35. That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened and while they were talking and discussing together Jesus himself drew near and went with them but their eyes were kept from recognizing him and he said to them What is this conversation that you're holding with with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, Toward evening, and the day is now spent, far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So it's the very day of the resurrection of Jesus and two of them, Jesus' followers, are walking on a road from Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus. And if it was seven miles or so, this would be a good two-hour walk. Walking was the common mode of transportation for most ordinary people in those days. And when you go for a long walk with someone, you have opportunity to talk about different things. And they were talking about everything that had happened. Jesus' uh, arrest, trial, crucifixion, death, and now the news of the empty tomb. And then Jesus joins them as they walk. He likely came from behind, but they don't recognize him. And this was a common reaction to Jesus' resurrection appearances. He didn't look like he did before. And then Jesus speaks. What are you guys talking about? And then notice at the end of verse 17, which is really important for this passage, it shows the state of mind of these followers. After Jesus questioned they stood still, looking sad. So they're sad. The empty tomb report has not convinced them of anything. Sadness dominates their mood. And then Luke tells us the name of one of these travelers, Cleopas. We don't know anything else about him through, from the Gospels. And he responds to Jesus' question with his own question. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? So he assumes that Jesus is a visitor, and Jews from all over the world came to Jerusalem during Passover to celebrate this, the highest holy day in the Jewish calendar. And Cleobas' question reveals that Jesus Arrest, trial, crucifixion, and death was the dominant item of conversation among even the visitors. So everyone was talking about this. And Jesus then asks, what things? And Cleopas reveals his beliefs about Jesus concerning Jesus of Nazareth he says a man who was a prophet that's a belief statement mighty indeed and word before God so he believes that Jesus did miracles he saw Jesus teach with authority he was did all this before God and all the people and then he talks about how their leaders the chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be crucified and to die so they believed that jesus was the prophet who performed miracles cleopas knew that his chief priests had jesus arrested and handed over to be killed but then notice the next statement about their belief in verse 21 but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem israel And that is messianic talk, talk of hope in a Messiah, someone who's going to deliver us. And the Jews learned from their prophets of this promised deliverer. They believed he would come and release them from oppression and bring justice and peace. But now, Cleopas believes that since Jesus is dead, he no longer is the Messiah or can be the Messiah, And then they share the news from Sunday morning about the women who reported the empty tomb and they say that they've seen angels and the angel said he was alive, but notice the end of verse 24, but him, referring to the women and to the others who had gone to the tomb, him, Jesus, they did not see. So, Cleopas and his companion have not heard from any other eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus a resurrection appearance of Jesus. So what would we expect, or what could Jesus have done in this moment? He could have thrown off his hood or whatever was concealing his identity from them and revealed himself to them. Wouldn't that be a great moment? Oh, here, this is Jesus. But instead, he rebukes them, to put it mildly. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Well, Jesus, these guys are just looking for some hope. You blast them as foolish? I mean, your disciples didn't get it. Peter didn't get it. Most people didn't get the Messiah the way that you came. It seems like a pretty common misunderstanding, so why such a rebuke? Except notice Jesus doesn't call it a misunderstanding. He calls it unbelief or slowness of heart to believe. Yes, the prophets promised a deliverer who would come and bring good news and release them from oppression and all those promises, but there was also much in the Old Testament about the suffering of this servant And what he would undergo. In fact there are detailed predictions. Of the crucifixion in Psalm 22. And in Isaiah 53. And somehow the disciples. And everyone else. Missed this part. They were all about. The glory of the Messiah. But missed the suffering. Of the Messiah. And notice Jesus says. Oh foolish ones and slow of heart. To believe all that the prophets have spoken. And remember, Luke's purpose in writing this gospel, according to chapter 1, verse 4, was for Theophilus and his readers to know with certainty the things that you have been taught. He wanted to strengthen the faith of his readers. And part of that included confirming Jesus' predictions of his suffering throughout the gospel. The crucifixion was no accident and no mistake. It did not disqualify Jesus as Messiah. It was absolutely necessary. And this was critical for the early church in overcoming the cultural shame of following someone who had been crucified. For there could be no greater shame in the Roman Empire. The Romans only crucified the worst criminals and the worst revolutionaries. But Jesus transformed the cross from a symbol of shame to a symbol of hope. And then, I really wish I could have been there for verse 27, don't you? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wow! Can you imagine that course being offered at college or university? Instructor, Jesus, Course and infallible interpretation of all the scriptures concerning me. And I hope they offer that course in heaven. But then they arrive at the village of Emmaus and Jesus looks like he's going on. And they say, No, the day is almost spent. It's very far into the day. Come, come and stay with us. And Jesus agrees and then breaks protocol. For he takes the bread to serve well it was the host's job to look after that but perhaps cleopas and his companion have recognized this person is really wise they have some sort of authority about them don't know what it is but we're going to let him do the blessing for the meal so he's at the table he takes the bread he blesses it he breaks it and he gives it to them and in that moment, they recognize him. Either the veil from their eyes is dropped or maybe they see his nail-scarred hands for the first time. And suddenly he vanishes. Cleopas and his companion then become the, Luke's first resurrection witnesses. And they say to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Now, wait a second. Didn't you just say to Jesus, it's late in the day? It's going to be too dark to travel? Traveling at night was very dangerous. You were vulnerable to robbers and everything. But they don't care. All of a sudden, they are filled with fearlessness and courage. So notice the transformation. They were standing still and sad in verse 17. They were despairing in verse 21. We had hoped that he was the deliverer. And now they don't care about night travel. They've got to go and spread the news. And they walk back into Jerusalem. And there they find the 11. And whoever else was with the 11 disciples. And before they can even speak, the 11 inform them. It is true that Jesus has been resurrected. And he has appeared to Simon or Peter. We alluded to that on Friday. We don't have any account of Jesus' appearance to Peter, his personal appearance to Peter, but it's contained throughout the New Testament as an event that happened. So Cleopas and his friend hear that news and then they share their news. Well, this is what happened to us as we walked along the road. And this is a testimony from eyewitnesses about the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we now call Easter. And so if I had to summarize this passage, it is simply two transformed eyewitnesses tell of their encounter with the resurrected Jesus on the first Easter Sunday. They went from standing still and looking sad to burning hearts and fearlessness. And the resurrection of Jesus is the central part of Easter, which brings us back to the original question, how will we respond How will we respond to the resurrection of Jesus and the fact that Jesus is alive today and is calling for us to come to him as Lord over our lives? So first response, number one, is I don't believe in God or in the resurrection. And if that describes you today, first of all, I want to thank you for even giving me some of your time, if you're still paying attention. You might think, as I've heard it said about us Christians, that we have an imaginary friend named Jesus who helps us get through life, but you only want to deal with reality and with evidence. Well, if if, if this is you and this is really your issue, I'd ask you to consider four facts. So these are facts, not opinions, facts. Number one, Jesus was killed by crucifixion widely attested in the testimony of the Gospels and other ancient sources. Fact two, Jesus' tomb was empty and his body has never been found. And even scholars who don't believe in Jesus at all affirm that the tomb was empty. The question is how does it get empty and there are a variety of theories about that and you have to choose which one you think is the strongest. Fact number three, the disciples and other eyewitnesses claim to see the risen Lord. There were multiple eyewitness testimonies and Cleopas and his companion are, are two of them. And then fact number four, the disciples devoted their lives to establishing the early church and most of them were killed for it. And we can say, well, they were just fanaticals who made up the resurrection to keep the movement going. And yes, that could be a charge. It is true. There are fanaticals who are willing to die for something that they believe is true, but maybe later turns out to be false. But it's very unlikely for people to die for something they know is false. And yet the disciples testified to Jesus' resurrection until the day of their death. And so alternative response number one to I don't believe in the resurrection, if that's really your issue, I would encourage you to check out the evidence, to take another look at it. And we have some materials on the table by the front door on the way out. We encourage you to help yourself to that. Possible response number two. I believe Jesus rose from the dead, but I don't want to change my life because of it, or I don't need to change my life because of it. I believe in my mind Jesus was resurrected from the dead. That's great, and I'm a Christian, and I'm just going to carry on. And maybe you think something like this. You think that that's good enough. You think that that's okay that you're a Christian. That's the way it is. I appreciate the honesty if that's how you're thinking. And I appreciate the the honesty that you don't want to change. Because for most of us, when we're comfortable with life, we don't want to change. We want to stay where it's comfortable. Yet change is a certainty in life. As we age and as we go through different stages, and if we're honest with ourselves, there are some things in our lives that we wish we could change. But we have been unable to. So what if receiving Jesus meant we could have someone to help and guide us through the changes life brings? What if in surrendering our lives to Jesus, he would change us in ways that we've wanted to change but have been unable to? Jesus wants the best for us. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I come that they might have life and have it abundantly so not wanting to change if that's really your issue or your primary reason for not going further with Jesus maybe you need to think about the positive change that Jesus can bring into your life but I also want to make one thing clear I am not talking about Jesus as a life coach The possibility of a changed life for us did not come without great cost to him. And that's what the cross is all about. Cleopas and his companion hoped that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel, but they did not understand that Jesus had to suffer and die as a substitution in our place. Because you and I are born alienated from God we inherit a sinful nature and it is natural for us to rebel against God and live our lives as if he wasn't God yet our sin anything we think say or do that is opposed to God's will separates us from God hurts us and others destroys relationships and families and leads us on a path towards destruction And you and I could not make things right with God by doing a certain number of good works. We could never earn God's favor. We could never do enough to atone for the magnitude of sin that we have committed against a holy and a good God. And according to justice, our sin against God can only be paid for by our lives. Justice requires the life of those who sin against a mighty and holy God, and God could have just left us like that, and he would have been perfectly just in doing so, but God is full of mercy. God made a way for our reconciliation with him, and that is through the substitutionary sacrifice of his son on our behalf. God taught the Israelites about this through the sacrificial system. And if you were an Israelite worshiper before the time of Christ and you wanted to confess your sins, you would bring an animal to sacrifice. And whether it was a lamb or a goat or a bull, the animal had to die. And I know that this is tough for us animal lovers to hear. But I think that God did it this way to try to impress upon the Israelites How serious sin was and how much it cost to be paid for. Yet the sacrifice of animals was temporary in God's overall plan. They served as a symbol or type of a greater sacrifice that would come later. And that sacrifice was Jesus, the ultimate Passover lamb. He gave himself up as our substitute. He gave his life to satisfy justice and to atone for our sin. And God ordained that anyone who put the trust of their life onto Jesus would be saved, forgiven, and adopted into God's family. Jesus served as our substitute by giving himself up in death on the cross. So, we're not just talking about Jesus as our life coach. someone who will come along, if you make this slight little change in your life, things will be better. No. We are talking about a savior, the servant, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Lord who conquered our three great enemies, death, the devil, and our sin. And to receive this Lord requires the complete surrender of our lives to him. And I don't want to sugarcoat things if you are not a Christian, or you've been dabbling and wonder, you know, I, I, I think I'm a Christian because I kind of believe. Uh, no. If you want to go farther with Christ, I'm not guaranteeing your problems will go away, your life will get better, everything will work out. Only God knows that. Following is hard and costly. It requires that we swim against the stream and take our sin seriously, yet We will have the Holy Spirit to empower us to change. We will taste the abundant life that Jesus came to give. We will never be alone. We will have the Lord Jesus Christ who appeared to Cleopas and his companion that day. And Jesus will intercede for us, help us, watch us, and love us. And one of Jesus' disciples named John wrote this, but to all who did receive him, who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So receiving plus believing equals becoming. So this is alternative response number two. To receive Christ into your life and believe on his name. Which means to submit your whole life to Christ, We think of belief as just something we do in our minds and then we're done. Believing in this context means a total life submission to Jesus. Receive him, believe on his name and you will become one of his children. And then my last word is for those who already follow Christ. Do you ever find yourself longing For a resurrection appearance of Jesus in your life. I mean, wouldn't that be incredible? I already follow Christ, but I wish the resurrected Jesus would appear to me and you're out for a walk this afternoon and you're in the park and this stranger comes up beside you and just starts talking about things that are completely relevant to your life and brings up a scripture that is exactly what you need to hear and then reveals himself as the resurrected Lord and shows you his nail-scarred hands. Like, wouldn't that be incredible? And it's never happened to me. And I've never been visited by angels that I know of. Yet something else happens to me almost every day. And I might start the day standing still and a bit sad over all that's before me. But then I pray and ask God to speak. Through his word, in my spirit, in my prayers. And he points out something to me in his word. He reminds me of some aspect of his character in creation. He speaks to my soul with love and comfort and rebuke sometimes. And peace. And I look forward to the day when I'll see him face to face. But until then, if I'm paying attention, it's like he's walking with me every day. And so, though a physical resurrection appearance of Jesus would be awesome, Jesus is with me, with us, all the time, if only we'll pay attention. And so alternative response three, rather than wishing for a resurrection appearance of Jesus, is to continue to make time and space to hear from and be with him. Make that time to hear from and be with God, whether as a family or a couple or a small group or alone. Pray for him to reveal himself to you, to reveal some scripture to you. And you never know when he will open your eyes to see what he wants you to see. So, two transformed eyewitnesses tell of their encounter with the resurrected Jesus on Easter Sunday. Luke includes them in his gospel to help us know the certainty, with certainty, the things that we have been taught. And I leave you again with question number two How will you respond to the resurrection of our Lord? Lord Jesus. We rejoice today. Reminded that you are alive. That you still are in your resurrection body. That you still have those nail prints. That they will somehow be a mark of encouragement and hope for all eternity. And we live in a world that likes to dismiss you distract from you, ignore you, and completely rebel against you. And so, Lord, we're called back today again to the resurrection, to the reality that you are alive. And I I pray on behalf of this congregation first that you would forgive us for living at times as if you're not resurrected or you're not our Lord. We do it all the time. And I pray that you will empower us to continue to go on in your strength through the good times and the hard times of our lives. May the fact that you are alive be an encouragement to all of us today. And for those here today that don't know you or maybe believe in their minds but not in their hearts, will you speak deeply, deeply to our hearts and souls today? about your deep love and your desire for the best for us we praise you lord jesus for your resurrection you are our king and our lord we look forward to the day when we will see you face to face but until then lord thank you for walking with us day by day and we pray this in your powerful name amen